Good morning, good morning, Pastor Daniel Dagan here, Hope Apostolic United Pentecostal Church, Port Charlotte, Florida, coming to you on our bi-weekly podcast, Timely Words of Hope. We're so appreciative that you've joined us, and we pray that this is a blessing to you again. It posts every Tuesday, first Tuesday of the month, and third Tuesday of the month at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on several different platforms, and we're so thankful that you watch and you participate in the study of God's Word with us. Please share these. This is our final podcast for this season for 2023. As the calendar turns going into January 2024, we will begin season number two, and Sister Jackie Arroyo will lead off that season with the first podcast of next year. So I want to talk to you today from something that has been upon me now for about three weeks. And I have shared it in a couple of different arenas that I've been honored to speak at over the last few weeks. But it has stayed upon me as I have prayerfully approached this podcast today. And I want to pray, but I just I want you to really settle your mind and your spirit into what God has given me for this moment, for this podcast. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus I thank you, mighty God, for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and for your kindness. God, that you would touch those that would listen to this, God, those that would later listen after it's shared. I pray, touch us all out of thy word. Thy spirit, God, is not limited to time and space. I would pray, God, let thy spirit and thy word work in concert together. Reaching out through this means and medium, God, to touch and to impact the lives of people. For thy glory, God, and every word and every deed be exalted. In Jesus' mighty name, we humbly, humbly pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you today from this subject. The danger of not heeding the voices of warning. The danger of not heeding to voices of warning. I had tried to direct my mind and my emotions to something relative to the festive holiday season, God's great love for us, and celebrating Him as Savior. And of course, obviously, all of those are great biblical subjects and truths. But God just did not release me from this. It's a great danger this hour, people are, I would say in my lifetime, becoming gods unto themselves more than ever. Certainly in my lifetime, I've never seen it like this. A man's ways, a woman's ways are right in their own eyes, but the end thereof is destruction. People are becoming a god unto themselves. Pastor Dagan, what do you mean by that? I don't mean that they have some type of statue or image or picture of themselves that they're bowing to and praying to. I don't mean that. I mean that they know no greater authority than themselves. It's a dangerous place to be. From pulpit to pews, from a church house to a barroom. If you know no greater authority than yourself, if you heed no other voices than your own voice, That is a horrifically dangerous place to be. 
Thus God has given me this for today. The danger of not heeding the voices of warning. I want to take you to a familiar story that many in the church and even those that don't serve God would recognize and know something about. It is seen in the scriptures in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Time period is about 1035 B.C. Now Israel has seen the coming and going of the first king, King Saul. And now King David has been anointed by God, the prophet and the people. He's risen and he is the appointed king of Israel. As his predecessor, he also would serve as 40 years over Israel as the king. It is still the time of the united kingdom that is seen in Israel between Saul, David, and Solomon's reign, united Israel. And we come now to this sad and tragic episode in David's life. It would change forever the course of his house. It would forever change the effects of upon his children and his grandchildren. The scriptures would say of this moment, of this scene, that thereafter the sword of God would never depart from the house of David. Consider the moment, the scene. 2 Samuel chapter 11. It is the story of which David sins with Bathsheba. I will read some today. Please labor with me. 2 Samuel 11. And it says, The time in which the kings would go forth into battle, David sent Joab and his servants with them, and all of Israel. And they went and destroyed the children of Ammon, besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. For in the mind when you are out of the way of duty, You are in a place of temptation. When you are out of the way of duty, you are in the place of temptation. Why did David, a man that had killed his thousands, it was sung about. Why did David not go into battle, lead his men and his country into battle? It's a tragic thing. So the story begins. And it says, as David was there at Jerusalem, came to pass in the evening time, night time, evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman, Bathsheba, washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David had an opportunity The moment that this woman came into view, in the midst of the very earliest moments of temptation, he could have cast the thought down. He could have redirected his mind, set him upon heavenly affections. He could have begun to think on whatsoever things are lovely, true, pure, as it says in Philippians 4. He could have directed his mind to God, back upon God. But the sweet harpist of Israel, 
that knew what it was like to be intimate with God chose to not cast down the wicked thought. He chose to give place to the devil. He chose to entertain temptation. Friend of mine, temptation is not sin. In and of itself, to be tempted does not mean that you have crossed the line and sinned and now you're at a place of judgment if you don't repent of that sin. Remember what it says of Christ? He was tempted in all points of temptation, but he was without sin. David, the moment that he was out on the balcony, he wasn't initially looking at Bathsheba, but there she was. He could have made a choice to turn his thoughts from that, walk away from that moment, and ask God to take any image out of his mind and go forward. But he chose not to. He made a choice. It's the first of many wrong decisions that had far-reaching consequences. Heard a message preached several years ago now by Jack Cunningham, and it was entitled, Decisions I Made I Did Not Know I Was Making. Remember the service, we heard it in person. That message deeply impacted our family. Done a unique work in the life of my oldest son, Zachary Dagan. Decisions I made I did not know I was making. David made a decision to entertain a passing thought and image. And thus it went from temptation to sin. And yea, as lust became sin, it ultimately became death. He felt natural death in his family. And it cost him some of what God had generationally for his family. Goes on. As David would see Bathsheba. Says in verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And this is where I get the title at today. The danger of not heeding to the voices of warning. That prophetic voice that rises in a moment in which your foot is nigh unto slipping. But then a prayer partner calls you. You get a text. Pastor comes to your pastor's wife. Fellow minister, strong, mature saint of God, reaches out to you, comes and prays for you in the service. That is that voice that you have to heed to when your foot is nigh unto slipping. That is a redemptive effort of God to save you from yourself. That is God's overture of grace. That is God's hand reaching out to you before you cross a line that is going to yield undeniable consequences. It is going to cost you something. And it says, as David sent and inquired of the woman, the Bible says, 2 Samuel eleven three, and one said unto David, <clears throat> doesn't say who, doesn't <clears throat> say it was a prophet, doesn't say this person had some high-ranking capacity or position. It simply says, and one said, that nameless individual whose voice rises at a pivotal, critical moment in David's life, legacy, 
in ministry. He had a voice that came to him and essentially said, you're going to make a decision you're going to regret. You're going to make a decision that will cost you. That voice rises as the scripture says. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Verse 4, and David sent messengers and took her. It's like he just ignored it. He blindly just went speeding through the warning signs. You can drive on a mountainous road, and there could be warning signs. Slow your speed to 35. Dangerous curve coming up. Suicide hill coming up. You can, you can see those things. But they don't help you. They don't prevent catastrophic, devastating accidents from happening. Unless you and I, friend, we pay attention to the signs. We hear the voice of warning. We must, when God sends a word in prayer, an angel, a vision, a dream, a prophetic word, a word through the pastor, his wife, another minister, fellow saint of God, or whoever, when God lifts up the voice and the one says unto us, stop, consider this woman, she's somebody's daughter. This woman Bathsheba, she is somebody's wife. David, snap out of it. Wake up. Have some discretion. Measure what you're about to do. Consider the decision you're about to make. You've not thought this through, man of God. You've not thought this through, sweet psalmist of Israel. David did not stop. David did not heed. The prophetic voice of warning. David did not hear the nameless, all but faceless individual that tried to save him from himself. God is trying to check you before you wreck yourself. God is trying to prevent you from utter destruction. God is trying to keep you from going over the cliff and crashing and burning. But God will not make you listen to the warning signs. You need to hear what I'm telling you. God will not make you listen to the warning signs. God will not forcibly impose his will upon you or upon me. We have the ability to choose freely. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Save yourself from this untorn generation. It is a choice. As for me and my house, it is a choice. David sends messengers. They bring Bathsheba back to him. Tells you in verse 5 of 2 Samuel 11. And the woman after David lays with her. She conceives. And she goes back home. And I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But after she returns back to her house. Of course it would have to be a period of time. Right? 30 days, 60, 90 days, we don't know. But after a period of time, 
the woman through the natural indicators of her body recognizes that I have child. I have conceived a child because of this time with King David. And she sent back and told David, I am with child. Can you imagine the emotional and mental trauma of what's going on in her mind and in her life because of the sinful actions of David? This woman is innocent. She did nothing wrong. He abused his power and his authority and he took what he wanted from this woman. And now this woman goes back in the house of her husband Uriah. Back into the presence of the honor of her father. And she has been defiled by David. And she's now a child. Now the sin's not going away. The mistake's not going away. With child. And, and David, instead of owning the mistakes at this point, there's a child that's not going away. No matter what happens, that was the result of David's sin. If that particular child, firstborn to Bathsheba and David, lives a hundred years or dies as it would invariably, no matter, that's not going away. That's on the record now. But still, David could have acknowledged the sin, humbled himself, could have repented for the action. He did not. Goes on and tells you in verse 15, 16, 17, 2 Samuel 11, I paraphrase. It tells you that when David hears about Bathsheba being with child, instead of trying to acknowledge the sin, the shortcoming, trying to be honest with himself as God, others, he tries to cover it up. He concocts this malicious, deceivious plan and puts it into place. Have her husband Uriah sent to the front of the battle line. Let's get him out of the picture. Have him killed. Make it look like it was an honorable kill. And then that woman Bathsheba can come and stay with me and we'll live happily ever after. You're a hypocrite. Your sin's going to find you out. Do you hear me? Your sin will find you out. What's done in darkness is going to be brought to light. David thought that through his maneuvering and his sinful missteps that he could somehow turn the page, gloss over his sin, and everything would be okay. An utter mockery of God. An utter mockery of God. How low the great psalmist and the sweet harpist of Israel has fallen. Now, an adulterer. Now, a murder. Blood on his hand. This is not from battle. This is because of his sinfulness. Blood is upon his hand. It could have all been prevented had he heeded, listened to the prophetic voice of warning. That came from a nameless individual. You need to heed to. And listen to. 
the prophetic voices of warning that are coming. I don't care who they're coming from. If they're coming from a noted prophet whose name is known abroad, or if they're coming from a nameless individual within the shadows of a street somewhere, you and I, we better recognize that God is trying to talk to us. God is trying to speak to us. So now, David has Bathsheba. Uriah's killed in battle because of David's actions. Word comes to Bathsheba. She mourns greatly at the end of 2 Samuel 11, verse 26 and 27, as she hears that Uriah, her husband, was dead. When the morning was past, verse 27, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done, this pleased the Lord. I wonder where exactly David lost his God consciousness. I wonder where exactly David lost his awareness of what was right and what was wrong. I wonder when was the point in which David within himself made a cognitive decision to compromise and to step from that which is holy to that which is unholy. When did it become a blurred line? When did he no longer clearly see what was right and what was wrong? It is certain to us today that there was a point that he crossed into the forbidden. It was a point that he lost sight of truth and he began to embrace fallacy and error and sinfulness. Hey, God, open our eyes up. Deepen our convictions, God. Let us walk with the great surety of what is truth and what is error. Let us walk, God, with the great surety of what is right and what is wrong, what is holy and what is unholy. He lost sight of that. This woman with child, Bathsheba, just fresh off the mourning, the weeping, the lamenting, the mourning, the grieving of her dead husband, he fetches her. Like she's a piece of meat. Like a dog. Go fetch the dog. He fetches her. And brings her to his house. What was Bathsheba thinking when she looks at this monster? The abuse of power. The arrogance. The pride. And so. Nathan the prophet. I'm thankful for the voice of prophets. When you study the scriptures. You consider the fivefold gift ministry, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Of those five, the one that is the most commonly spoken of, the title, go back and search it out, the title that comes up the most common in Scripture, it's not even a close second. It is the office of the prophet. The second one is the apostle. Then it's on down from there. Many times the office of the prophet and the office of, of the apostle are tied together. They are listed consistently together in Paul's writings. Here's the prophet, Nathan. Thank God for the voice of prophets and prophetess. Nathan comes to David. He paints a picture. What would you do, David, to this man that does this? 
He has so much. He takes this from this poor man. David says, that's horrible. That man needs to be judged. And Nathan tells him in verse 7 of 2 Samuel 12, thou art the man, David. Goes on and it tells us, as we jump down, verse 10 on down in 2 Samuel chapter 12, as Nathan now issues a judgment against David, God's judgment. When Nathan tells David, you're that man, you had all of this, you had multiple women, but you took a man and you killed him. And the only wife he had, the love of his life, you took that woman from him. Thou art the man. Says Nathan says to David in giving judgment unto him. Verse 10 of 2 Samuel 12. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. It is true. It is a prophetic utterance regarding more than David regarding Israel. That of the throne of David there would be no end. That is a messianic prophecy pointing towards ultimately what Christ would fulfill both in his earthly ministry, but even more than that, in what would take place during the thousand year millennial that you'll read about in Revelation 20 that comes after Daniel's 70th week. The throne of David would would never end. It would be an eternal throne. That is true. And David would, as an individual, as an individual, because of ultimately at the end of making a grave series of mistakes, David would be forgiven of his sin. <clears throat> and he would be restored to right standing with God. But the, the judgment is true, and the sword never departs from David. Consider Absalom, the hell that happens between David and Absalom, how his house is fragmented and divided. All types of travesties that takes place in David's house thereafter. And David's child that was conceived between he and Bathsheba, the child dies shortly after birth. And David greatly laments that he is devastated, sick with grief, Upon that child dying. I want to finish today. The next couple of moments. With the passage of hope. Even in the darkness of making grave mistakes. Friend of mine. Though we should. Heed to. The voices of warning. And I pray to God. Ahead of anything in our future. Before any wrong decision. Sinful decision. Eternal decision, far-reaching decision will ever be made. I pray, friend of mine, me and you, will heed to the prophetic voice of warning, both that comes out of the written scriptures, that God speaks to us directly, that comes to us in a vision, a dream, or through another. A prophet, prophetess, pastor, pastor's wife, minister, fellow saint of God whatsoever. I pray concerning wrong decisions that may be in our future, I pray that God prevents us from those wrong decisions and from those far-reaching consequences. But as we look back now 
and we consider David's missteps and David not heeding to the voice of the one that said, this is a man's daughter. This is a man's wife. Essentially inferring, please, king, don't do this. Don't destroy this family. I beseech you, don't do this. Yet David ignored the voice of warning and created great havoc in multiple families and in many far-reaching lives. The sword never departed. But David himself is forgiven, and I am comforted by that. And I pray to the good God of heaven, if you have made grievous missteps in your walk and your relationship with God, I've not come to attack you and to condemn you. I've come here at the end now to offer you hope. Learn from your past. Comes a point though, friend. We have to turn the page, right? We have to forget the things that are behind us. We have to reach forward. We have to press forward. I give you hope today. Hope from a gracious, merciful God. Seven times shall the righteous man fall. Seven times shall the righteous man fall. But God's there. How much should we forgive? Seventy times seven. God is a gracious and a merciful God. It's not an excuse for us to knowingly sin. It's a grave place to be if you knowingly sin. But it is a truth that we serve a loving, gracious, and merciful God. So after Nathan rebukes David for his sin, thou art the man. And now David begins to feel in his own life and house the consequences of his sin. The baby born unto Bathsheba from their initial encounter dies. And David is so grieved that he is sick, yea, nigh unto death. And out of that horror and brokenness comes this prayer. It's a beloved prayer in Psalms. It's been probably quoted as much as any of them, say perhaps Psalms 23. Psalms 51 is a prayer that David now prays that brings forgiveness, repentance, and ultimately restoration. Restoration and renewing must be preceded by repentance. In God's kingdom, restoration and renewing never comes before repentance. God forgive me. I acknowledge my sin. David prays a prayer of repentance. And God allows him as a believer to be restored and to be redeemed. And you read about David's catching up, if you will. It alludes to it in Acts chapter 2. It's an odd place to see it, but it's a story for another time. But it alludes to it in Acts chapter 2. Notice what it says, being caught up into heaven, ultimately going to heaven. It says in Psalms 51, here's David's prayer. Have mercy upon me. Now read this and pray over you, friend of mine. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy mercies, thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly 
from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Personal acknowledgement of sin was not because Bathsheba was bathing. It was not time and chance. You are the man. It's because of a choice that you made. And you have to own the sin. You cannot go forward if you do not own the sin. Wash me. Cleanse me from my, my, my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. It's fascinating to me how often frequent and how strongly he is emphasizing in the opening part of the prayer. I own my sin. My, my, my. I own my sin. It goes on. Verse 4. It's, let me pause and say this. In the Hebrew mind, of course David is, in the Hebrew mind, when something is said two times, it gives witness to it. When it's said three times, it literally means to infinity. It means forever. Forever. That's why when you read in Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8, holy, holy, holy. When the angels say it twice, yea, three times, to the Jew, to the Hebrew mind, it means that is an eternal statement. That is to infinity. Literally, it never ends. David, a good Jew, Hebrew mind, in just a matter of about eight words, he says three different times, it's my sin, my sin, my sin. In other words, he established it. For the rest of my life, I'm going to put it to rest now. I won't be broken. You need to hear me right now. I won't be broken and contrite and own my sin today in the, in the moments after we are burying my dead son. And then next week, next month, I'm going to go back and play the blame game and say, well, if it wasn't for this, I would have never been in that situation. If it wasn't for that, no. When he said my three times back to back to back in a matter of about eight or ten words to the Hebrew mind, that settles that from that point to infinity. It's over. In other words, he's saying I will forever own this sin. I will own it. I'm going to confess it to God. I'm not going to walk under the guilt of it. I'm not going to walk under the shame of it. I'm going to confess it right now and give it to God. But I won't change my statements later and begin to play the blame game and say, well, you know, if it was not for what they'd done or if Bathsheba would have not been there, I would have never been there. He's saying, I will never do that. I will own my sin from now into infinity and thus let me give it to God and God will forgive me for it for all of eternity. Does that make sense to you? He goes on and he says, in verse 4, against thee, the only God, yea, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, in thy sight, in thy sight. Un unto thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Be clear, God, it's me. It's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. Be clear, be clear when thou judges. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou, I want you to catch this part. It's a key point of now the redemptive component of the prayer of forgiveness. 
He's prayed the prayer of repentance. Now we're moving into redemption. From verse 6 down, it shifts from being forgiven or repentance to now being redeemed. Did you hear that? Verse 1 down to verse 5 is to forgive. That's what he prays. And when he moves down to verse 6, he now is praying uh, parts of and components of the prayer of redemption. Here's an indication of that. I desire truth in the inward parts, okay? We've moved now from forgive me. We're praying essentially, God, remake me. Like the clay in the hand of the potter is remade as it seemeth good unto the potter. He's praying, God, remake me or reshape me. I desire truth in my inward parts. In the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. So he's looking ahead now. No longer owning the sin. That's on an altar. Once you confess the sin, Acknowledge it. Do not let Satan bring the shame, the guilt of that sin back on you. You don't need to ask for forgiveness 19 times. You don't need to revisit it. Once you ask God authentically and genuinely, God forgive me, it's over. Move on. Do not revisit the scene, the moment, the sin in your mind. And don't let Satan or another person speak that over you. They come to you and ask, well, what about this? God forbid, you committed adultery, you got divorced, now you go on with your life. People in the church knew you and your first wife as a couple. Now they maybe know you and your second wife. Don't let people come to you and bring you down to a place of guilt and shame and take you back down passive conversation regarding your first marriage. That's over. It's done. Turn the page. He's turning the page. Purge me. Wash me. Let me know truth in the inward parts, in the hidden components of my being. Make me to know joy, to hear joy, verse 8, and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. It's a forward-thinking mentality. He's going forward. Redeem. Rejoice. Let's rebuild. Verse 9, hide thy face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities. He's hoping again to have sweet, intimate fellowship with God. I believe he does have that. After this scene, I believe he does have it. Because the New Testament identifies David as a man after God's own heart. Not just the old, but the new. I think that speaks of the fact that he does have a place of intimacy with God after the prayer of repentance and the work of restoration by God. The sword never departs. He still reaps some of what he has sowed. But he does experience, I believe, some of those intimate moments with God. Yet again, I'm certain he does. I'm certain he does. When you read the Psalms, you see that even after he had this dark moment in his life. Creating me. Focus is rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Creating me. Clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit. There it is again. Renew, renew, renew. Focus on going forward. Cast me not away from thy presence. That's his desire. Now, I want to walk with you again. Let that be a driving force in your life. As you pick yourself up from the mess and the mistake, and it was a mistake. Let your passion to be restored and walk with God again be the focus. Not the restoration to a position. Not the restoration to a title, 
But let your passion, the driving force in your soul be, God, I want to walk with you again. I want to be intimate with you again. I want to be in thy presence again. I want the, the restoration, restoration of joy in my soul again. And if you will do those things, there will be another time in your life that you will rise and you will, as David said in verse 13, be able to share with others your testimony, help and impact and instruct and even teach others on the other side of the darkest season of your life. I pray to God that decisions in front of us will make the right ones and wrong decisions behind us. We'll repent, give those to God, turn the page with the hope of restoration and the belief that God loves us still and that God wants to help us to go forward. I want to pray for you right now, friend of mine. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your love, and for your kindness. God, as I have felt the confirming unction, the confirming unction and touch of thy spirit upon this word today. I pray, God, that those that listen will too feel it. <clears throat> They'll feel an arresting of their steps if they're in the midst of making a wrong decision. They will feel the pull of grace and mercy calling them forward if they have already made a wrong decision. They will hear the wisdom of the prophetic spirit crying out to them, looking forward. If there's a pothole or a wrong decision that is in the near future, help us all, God, to glean from this word what you have destined for us. And in every word, God, and in every deed, be exalted, mighty God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Pastor Daniel Dagan, Hope Apostolic Church, Port Charlotte, Florida. Please email me if you would like. PastorDagan at gmail.com. God bless you. Bye now.